I'm exploring. I am not lost. I am exploring. I am not lost. I am exploring. So this is my friend and colleague, um, Jana Stanfield, who wrote this amazing song entitled, I Am Not Lost, I Am Exploring. If you're here today and you're a listener to Nomadic Diaries, please know that this is just one in a series of 30 for the month of November. Uh, if I can do 15 out of 30, I will be absolutely delighted with the result, but I'm participating in a challenge. And I hope that we can bring you along on this journey and share a few things and a few experiences that, that are happening or have happened and, and also give value and some love and some support in your expatriate, repatriation or your digital nomad life wherever you're traveling. But this is for all the people who love to love the planet, love its people, love its cultures, and you are welcome here. So wherever you are, good morning, good evening, good afternoon. I'm reading from Life in the Camel Lane, my second book. The Women's Mall. Mary had the joyful experience of an invitation by a Saudi female, Fuda, to attend the Women's Mall in Daharan. This mall sold clothing, goods, and materials only for women. Every single person in this mall was a Saudi woman. Shopkeepers, shoppers, sales clerks, servers in the coffee shops, and even the stock clerks. Had Fuda not instigated this outing, Mary would never have known it existed. They went by taxi and the first thing that struck Mary was the doors of the mall were all tinted glass. Nobody could see inside. There was not a single abaya in sight. No one covered their hair. Instead, they were dressed up in high heels or some sort of house dress, like a long flowing shapeless garment. The women were brilliantly decked out and in their element. Fuda matter-of-factly suggested that Mary remove the hot headscarf and the abaya she was wearing. When Mary asked why, Fuda said, just think, if we were allowed to wear our abayas and scarves, don't you think the men out there would disguise themselves, walk in and be perfectly disguised? This way, we can all just be women. Mary was fascinated by the display of grit and glamour in a society where women were all but declared invisible. Suddenly, prayer time arrived. The female shopkeepers hustled around closing stores, turning off the lights and ushering customers outside. Instantly, these bright, colorful beings morphed like reverse butterflies into their cocoons of abayas, transforming back to indistinguishable shapes. Upon exiting the mall, they were met by a line of cars, trucks, and SUVs, with husbands and drivers ready to whisk them off. In a blink of the eye, the subculture was swallowed up and shuttled off, almost as if the experience never happened. Mary recalls wondering, 
Did that really happen? So aside here, while I was living in Saudi, all the women wore black abayas, like a long black trench coat covering. Um, there's been so many histories and so much tradition involved and so many uh, superstition um, and criticism from the West sometimes on what is the abaya? Why, why would you wear it? And, and these women mostly wear it because they're honoring a tradition and they're honoring their society. And it took me a couple of years to get into the wearing of the abaya. When I arrived in Saudi Arabia, the first big incident we had was a bombing in Al-Khobar of the towers where so many um, Americans were killed. And it was pretty shocking. But the next big uh, wake-up incident was, of course, 9-11. And when 9-11 occurred, we were just absolutely um, transformed because we were surrounded by Saudis. There was lots and lots of fear and questioning and a lot of indecision and a lot of concern when that happened. However, one of the results of that was that when we were invited to arrive in Saudi Arabia as their guests, we were trained and we were warned and we were given acclimatization and adaptation techniques to know that we were to observe their customs, honor their culture, and wear long sleeves like this. And we could wear baggy things like this. We were not to go downtown in strapless t-shirts and thongs and short shorts, but we could appear in public without actually wearing an abaya. Now that changed quite a bit between uh, 1996 and then, of course, into 2001. And suddenly we all found ourselves wearing the abaya. And so in this mall, everyone took it off. And you could see there who they were and what colors they wore and find out a little bit more about their personality. And that was such a rare thing for us. So when we transformed, when we walked out the door, because we would put on the abaya, it was like hiding ourselves. And then we transformed when we came home, we could be like, here I am. They were frustrating, they were hot, they were miserable. I was very incompetent at wearing an abaya because mostly when it was windy downtown, I just let it fly. And it just flew behind me like a black coat. People could see what I was wearing and I mostly wore exercise pants and a short sleeve t-shirt. Well, of course they couldn't see my arms with the abaya on. So I was following the rules, um, but I was following the spirit of the law, not so much the rigidity of the law. Um, and the abaya became a big thing for us. So that's why I wrote about it and in including this experience in the book to know that um, it's very different. It was very different inside that mall. And what I'm hearing now from people who are currently living in Saudi Arabia, thank you, Stockenberg family, is that the, the women who are in Saudi now are decorating their abayas. They're wearing colorful abayas. They're wearing them open. And there is much more freedom and flexibility under the new um, the new political system. I don't want to call it a regime. And 
Therefore, there is a greater sense of life and color and freedom that is happening on the streets than was present when I was there. So I'm going to move on to talk about the transformation when I was there and why I called it Invisibility Cloak. Um, one of my friends and colleagues, Michelle, who worked at the hospital, faced some professional challenges um, with some of the personnel in the hospital. And the situation was so dire that she retreated into an experiment. There was one commissary on our compound. The professional single gals worked all day. There was a high chance that shoppers would run into work colleagues or neighbors who were free at the same time. Now, Michelle has dark hair, is naturally exotic looking woman, fairly tall with wide set dark eyes. One day she decided to dress up. She wore an abaya, a veil and a headscarf and headed for the commissary. The experience was very successful while revealing at the same time. She was able to stand unrecognized inches away from someone that she was preferring not to have a conversation with. This person was completely oblivious and unconcerned by the sight of a fully covered, quote unquote, Arabic woman in the store. Michelle enjoyed a feeling of freedom and complete anonymity. Wearing the abaya felt like donning an invisibility cloak similar to the one in Harry Potter movies, except the costume was in plain view. You knew there was a person in there, but the feeling the abaya created was of a distinct personal space. The experience left its mark on her. On another occasion, she took the bus to Rastanura. She had designed this day as a mental health day at the beach. But since she wanted to remain anonymous, she once again chose to don the disguise to travel. Upon arriving in Rastanura, she walked the short 100 yards to the beach, removed the gear, spent the day relaxing and unwinding. But upon returning in the evening to Dharan, she was once more Saudi clothed and was curious about the attention a Lebanese fellow on the bus gave her. He stared at her continuously, repeating, asking if she spoke English, to which she shook her head and said, La. That means no. Michelle sensed that she could tell he, he could tell she was not Saudi, although she was fully covered head to foot. Ah! But what about the feet, she wondered. Perhaps the flip-flops she was wearing were a clue to her true identity. Saudis are rarely seen wearing flip-flops while covered. Or did he in fact somehow intuit her Western energy emanating from that outfit? Undaunted, this man stared at her all the way to Dharan, and upon exiting the bus, he gave her a note with his telephone number. A third attempt at this dress-up experience came when she accompanied her 20-something-year-old daughter to Rashid Mall. The mall is large, full of mirrors, glass, escalators, and high-end European designer stores, and filled with a population similar to a mini United Nations. Abaya-clad women glide around as if they're on wheels. Michelle and Danica, her daughter, decided to go incognito, completely decked out in abayas with niqabs, that's the, the male of the basque, to cover their faces and just observe. 
Now, Danica had a distinct strut to her walk. And after a few moments, they were conscious of drawing stares, attention, and general interest. Their attempt to be Saudi didn't seem to be fooling anyone. No one paid a bit of attention to Michelle. She paced herself, quieted her energy, and seemed to blend in. After a short chat, they decided they needed some strategy. Danica slowed down her gait, took smaller steps, kept up her strut, and kept kept up or kept down her strut, and left her eye, her arms very still. Within a short time, they observed they were attracting less attention and diminished curiosity from the locals. After some practice, they felt like they could meld into the population and disappear quite effectively. All these experiences led Michelle to reflect upon the invisibility factor that occurs when wearing an abaya, how it is both an invisibility cloak and an attention getter, depending on how it's warm and who is observing. I found the abaya conveyed a sense of freedom when visiting the more traditional city of Damam. I could roam around, I could go to the fish market, get in taxis with Saudi drivers spend time with shopkeepers, bargain with vendors, all with a sense of calmness that would not have been so smooth had I been wearing Western dress. While wearing it, I sometimes felt invisible, even with reddish hair covered. I believe that Arabic women have worn abayas for many reasons, not the least of which is tradition. Up until 1980 and around the time of the revolution in Iran, women in Saudi Arabia were wearing loose-fitting muumuu-type garments that still covered the feminine shape, but they were bright, colorful, sometimes garish. I wondered how many of those are still around. Recently, I did meet a gal who lived in Arabia in the 1970s. She absolutely rocks the most stylish Bedouin dress with metal jewelry attached. These garments certainly win the test of time. The colors of her dress are stunningly rich. The garment has style and the cultural feeling is unmistakable. Wearing the abaya is an example of how we could change our attitude and behavior and ultimately discover a sense of freedom within an idea that we may have resisted for so long. When I first arrived in Saudi, I pledged to never wear one. Uh, to me, covering seemed sort of a signal of negativity or oppression or some sort of undefined unpleasantness. However, in hindsight, I'm grateful for the opportunity to have worn an abaya, and I've gotten the briefest glimpse into what life behind it can be like. I doubt that we Western women will ever fully understand the Middle Eastern or, or Muslim women's mindset around the abaya, its uses, its traditions, and its purpose. However, I feel like the opportunity to wear one and to notice how my, my perspective changed gave me an insight into their lives. Although we don't subscribe to wearing abayas in the West, we do use similar ideas of hiding what we choose to let others see. The abaya was no more no less than a cultural tool. I'm forever grateful to have had the opportunity to play with that tool.
And although I experience an affinity when I see a Muslim woman wearing a headscarf on her abaya now, I can still simply only guess at their intentions. So I just wanted to share with you today a little bit of what the abaya, wearing the abaya was like, why it was important, and what a difference it made. And wherever you are, if you are rooted in one place, if you have lived in one place all your life, whether you are an expat who is on the traditional assignment trail in the corporate world, whether you're a diplomat, or whether you're a digital nomad, or firing, which is um, financially independent, and uh, re retiring, I would like to invite you to watch your adaptation, watch the mindset, not just the activities, how the activities change, but also the mindset behind the activities. And I would invite you to become uh, culturally intelligent with the way you interact with the culture that you're living in. It was a hard lesson in Saudi. Many other places, it can be a lot, a lot easier. Um, we don't have signals like abayas in so many countries that we go to. And yet culture and intercultural communication is an intercultural intelligence in the midst of communication is absolutely essential. So just to remind you, you are not lost. You are just exploring. Until the next time I see you on Nomadic Diaries, or you hear from me on Nomadic Diaries, may you find your path and enjoy it. And here's a little more from Jana Stanfield. I'm not lost, I am exploring. Life is an adventure worth enjoying. Though I may not know where I'm going I am not lost, I am exploring I am not lost, I am exploring